Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And today we watched number 66 on AFI's Top 100 list, and that film was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Film came out in 1981. 81. Everyone remembers that there are a couple films after it, but Ethan. Matt. Why don't you give us a plot synopsis? I will. So the Raiders of the Lost Ark is the story of Indiana Jones, an archaeologist and professor who hunts down rare antiquities. The film opens in Peru, where Jones braves a booby-trapped temple to acquire a golden idol, which is stolen from him by rival archaeologist Rene Belloc. 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 Rene Belloc. Again, I can't do a goddamn... Belloc. 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 Belloc who sends native warriors after Jones to kill him. Indiana Jones narrowly escapes. Back at his home institution, he is visited by Army intelligence men who discuss his old contact, Abner Ravenwood, who the Nazis have been interested in finding due to his study of the Ark of the Covenant. The Nazis are searching for the Lost Ark, presumably to gain military advantage. Jones is sent to find it before the Nazis do, and he begins by visiting his old flame, Marion Ravenwood, in Nepal. She explains that her father is dead, but can provide Jones with the head of the staff of Ra, an integral part needed to discover the location of the Ark. After Jones leaves, Nazis arrive to attempt to torture Marion and steal the head. Jones saves her, and in a firefight, Marion's bar is destroyed, though she does not lose the head of the staff. The two partner up and head to Egypt. They meet up with Jones' friend Sala, a skilled digger, who reveals that the Nazis think they have discovered the location of the Ark with the help of Belak, or Belosh. The Nazis are digging in the wrong spot, however, and when they discover Jones and Ravenwood in Egypt, they attempt to capture them. Marion is seemingly killed in a car explosion. Jones has an altercation with Belloc, but is saved and manages to find the Well of Souls where the Ark is contained. Jones also discovers that Marion is not dead, but held captive by the Nazis. Later, when Jones and Sala remove the Ark, they are discovered by the Nazis who take the Ark and leave Jones and Ravenwood in the snake-infested well to die. The two escape as the Nazis load the Ark onto a truck. Jones defeats a few Nazis in a fistfight and manages to steal back the Ark and take it on a pirate ship to London. The Nazis again interfere, recapture the Ark and Marion, and Jones finds himself having to sneak onto a Nazi submarine. The Nazis take the Ark to a small island to test its power. Jones threatens to destroy it with a bazooka, but doesn't have the nerve. He's captured along with Marion. The Nazis open the Ark to find only sand, but then find ghostly forms begin flowing from the Ark along with strange electricity. Indy and Marion close their eyes as the Nazis are killed by fire, electricity, and strange energy. After the Nazis are killed, the Ark closes itself and Jones and Marion return it to the U.S., where the army insists that it is being investigated by top men. However, the final shots of the film show the Ark being placed in a giant anonymous warehouse, presumably never to be opened again. So, this is a two-hour film that feels like it moves pretty quick. It does. I think it's very well paced. Things happen. Lots of action and adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a pivotal scene choice incredibly difficult for me. It is kind of tough. Because I can't really see any one scene that is more important than the others in terms of plot or conflict or development. 
I feel like they are all well structured, but they're all identically structured in that we get a little bit of background, we get a little bit of witty banter or dialogue, then there's conflict, usually in the form of fighting Nazis or something, and then they are spirited away to the next scene. Yes. So I feel like, really, we should just pick the first scene, because I think it really is what exemplifies the film the best, perhaps, with all of its... Uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead to our three questions already, but exemplifies all the things that we remember from it, all the things we are beholden to about it. And it also shows a little bit of just how the film runs. Sure. So why don't we take a listen? And I know this is going to be a little weird because there's not a whole lot of dialogue in these scenes because it really is focused on the action and the spectacular props and special effects therein. Let's play the clip. All right. Give him the whip. Throw me the idol. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip. Adios, senor. Dr. Jones, again we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. And you thought I'd given up. You chose the wrong friends. This time it will cost you. Too bad the Jovitos. Don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Yes, too bad. You could warn them. If only you spoke Hovitos. Hokana Matuso! Mabata!
Okay, so, you know, you maybe miss a little bit out on what this film is offering through an audio-only medium, but I feel like if you're listening to this episode, you've certainly seen this film, if not all of the Indiana Jones films. So you understand, you know, what's happening here with the the weighing of the idol in the bag of sand, the traps, right. the right. bullwhip, the big boulder, or the fleeing from native arrows, snakes. You know, it's all there. Right. This is the this is the Indiana Jones formula. There's nothing mystical about it. Right. It's. I mean, yeah. It, and that's the the sort of puzzle or challenge with this film is that it it's not. Like you said, it's not a dialogue-heavy film in general, except for, you know, basic exposition, witty quips, and then you get action, and then you get a bunch of fights and snakes and special effects and natives running around shooting arrows at people. And usually big set-piece actions, right? I think of the yes. the big plane that's supposed to transport the Ark, and it just is set spinning, and Indiana Jones has to fight this big, burly Nazi under the plane while explosions are going off and Marion shooting people with machine guns. It's just, I, I hesitate to use the word spectacle because we say it so dang often on this we podcast. Do. But I think, well, you know, it's kind of where we get some of it from. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the the draw of this film is is that. I mean, this is a, this is a, a film made in the style of serials, like the old serial adventure movies. It's not about the deep interpersonal relationships with these characters it's about finding spectacular objects and fighting spectacular fights with spectacular enemies in order to give us a spectacular ending so it really is a a movie that is about spectacle and that's why it feels so short because it doesn't stop we're always moving forward in this movie everything happens to move the plot forward and to give us another action sequence and to give us some more witty quips uh and then to bring us right to the end and I don't want to give the listener the impression that we're saying all of this because we dislike the film or think oh, it's no. poorly done. I think it's a very well done film. It does what it set out to what it sets out to do very effectively. It's just also maybe a little strange to me when I had already sort of clarified in my own mind what the AFI Top 100 was about. I had said in an earlier episode that it really does privilege story in a lot of ways, whereas this movie has plot it has a story but it's shoestring right it just connects things it's not something that is relied upon let's say thematically right i mean i i think it's it's really just sort of the big ideas to propel us to action and the story is the action i mean that's part of what kind of story it's telling us yeah and so if i had such a difficulty with picking a pivotal scene ethan i can't imagine the efforts you had to go through for the thematization of this film. So why don't yeah. we maybe start there, but I want to keep maybe you and the rest of the audience keep this in mind that I am really thinking today about this being number 66 on the top 100. You know, we're getting very close to halfway. Right. And I'm looking down at that ever expanding list of films that we've passed and trying to justify its position here. Yeah. Well, I think that the best way to sort of deal with this film in a thematic way or in a thematic sense is to begin with really what is at its core. And I think that it this is really a film that sets up clear good and evil in this film. The bad guys are Nazis, the most evil, you know, or the, or the, the easiest evil characters you can prop up, right? Nobody 
well, then again, we live in 2017, so I shouldn't say nobody, but, you know, nobody identifies with the Nazis and it's like, yes, I hope they win. I hope they kill the American professor, right? Like, Yeah, and I also have maybe a little bit of question about the use of the Nazis in this film. We The film is made in 1981, so clearly we know all about Nazis by this point. Right. But it's set in 1936, which is three years before the war actually starts. Right. And I'm a little skeptical about how much a typical American at that time would be seeing the Nazi as pure evil at that point. So I think this film is relying on a contemporary understanding of the Nazis that didn't exist in that quite, that quite manifestation, that sort of manifestation in 1936. Yeah. I mean, they're shorthand for, for bad guys. I mean, that's simply what they are. And it, and it's, it's a film that's not necessarily concerned with um, maybe perhaps ironically with the cultural context of the of the actual moment it's set in, mm-hmm. and so you know, and but 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 on the other hand, I mean, it, again, the the big item of this film is the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which is God. That it, it is, you know, the Christian God, a divine item. Yeah. So it it pits, you know, this sort of like Christianity, and on on another hand, too, like good old boy American professors uh against a shorthand for obvious evil i don't know if i've ever heard good old boy american professor ever used in a sense before (laughs) you're acting like the salt of the earth rugged professor is something that exists right well yeah i mean there's a metaphor mixing here perhaps um but yeah i think i think this film you know makes it very clear who is good and who is evil at, at least at its outset right and then perhaps plays with that throughout a little bit with the back and forth with uh belloc and and indiana jones but at the end of the day we know jones is the hero we know the nazis are the bad guys there it's a form it's this formulaic sort of thing well let's problematize this a little bit here because underlying all of this i'm not so sure we could determine that indiana is the hero he is part of the elite right as a professor of archaeology true and then he goes out by night, you know, by day, he's a professor by night, really a relic hunter with the, that, that belongs in the museum, that famous line, mm-hmm. where he's taking this golden idol that these natives revere, and he takes it from them effectively and wants to put it in the museum. He wants to take the ark, put it in the museum. So it's this imperial appropriation. Oh, definitely. Is, you know, not unlike what the British were doing at that period in Egypt and North Africa and other places, taking items and putting them in their museums and saying, aha, we are, you know, advancing learning here, but really you're stealing culture from other civilizations. Yes. I mean, and I, and I think that that is, that's important. And that's, and that's sort of why I think that this good versus evil dichotomy that's set up is, is, is surface level. I mean, there's a lot more underneath it, uh, but you can very easily sit down and enjoy this movie without thinking of any of the, you know, colonial ins and outs of what's actually happening. Right. So, but I think my next question would then be, does the film know what it's doing? Is it aware that it's pitting this surface level good versus evil and the overreaching arms of, of fascist Germany, the Nazis, the third Reich underlying all of that with American imperialism is it making a comparison there, or is that all accidental and byproduct of American ideas of action and adventure and spectacle? 
I I don't get the sense that this particular film is is self-aware in a real sense. I just don't think it is. I think that all of these sorts of things happen within it because that is the reality and we see this. But I don't know that the film is necessarily making a comparison there yet. Uh, and maybe in some of the later films we'll, we'll see that. But I don't know that this particular one does. So, because if your answer was yes, then I could see why it was number 66 on the list. But with the answer being no, are we just returning to spectacle as the key to the hearts and minds of American people? Well, I mean, I'll say this. Just because the film itself does not seem self-aware doesn't necessarily mean that we should discount that that's actually happening. So perhaps that is part of why it's so highly regarded. But I, I would also maybe push back against that, and I think that this film beats out a lot of other films because of the spectacle and because of how well it does the spectacle and how well it tells that story. But that's my opinion. (laughs) So do you have any other themes for us to focus on? Yeah, we could think about also very obviously this idea of myth or mysticism versus science or rationalism, right? That sort of butts up against itself or those two things butt heads uh, throughout this film most notably in, in one of the early scenes where Indiana Jones is in his house, the Dean, what the hell's the Dean's name? British man number three. I don't know. Oh God. He's got a name, but I don't remember it. And he, he's talking to Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones is like, I listen, I'm not going to get scared by like ghost stories or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. He's not afraid of the boogeyman. Yeah. Which, you know, this idea of the Ark of the Covenant to, at least at the beginning to Indiana Jones is kind of a bit of hogwash. Right at least ostensibly. Um, but at the end, we'd learn that there... I mean, the end of this movie is so strange because it, for as much as it sort of lauds archaeology and rationalism, it it shows us at the end that there is a Christian God, apparently, uh, that can kill people. And there's an Ark of the Covenant that actually shoots the power of God out of it and kills bad people. <laughs> that final scene where indiana i guess has a conversion of faith because he tells marion don't look at it so he really is believing in this mysticism this religious power at this moment but it's such an unsettling scene because if we're supposed to believe that the spirits and holy fire and lightning that come from the ark are god's work it does not resemble a modern christian god really at all those spirits are horrible and horrifying and they're melting faces and this lightning is shooting through everybody and then they all get swept up and they all disappear at the end so it's like were they taken to heaven i don't or what happens there i think they're destroyed i think they're just they're just completely destroyed but but it's 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 old testament god this is not huggy feel good New Testament, Jesus, love thy neighbor. This is wrath and fire and fury. Old Testament, don't fucking touch my box or you'll die, God. Yeah, but that Old Testament God is like somewhat Lovecraftian, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So it does leave a weird spot here because it it really is. I mean, this film does laud like rational thought. I mean, he's a professor for God's sake you know, who, who, who believes in like these things belong in a museum. We have to think about them rationally, but that seems to be tempered with a really strong sense, uh, at least by the end of that, that there are things out there that we can't understand. And that may very well be a Christian God. So Indiana Jones conversion of faith was a working title that they decided (laughs) not to go with. 
Ethan, why don't we turn to our theses so we can make our way to those final questions. Yeah. Do you want to take it away? Yeah, I'll go ahead and say mine first. So my thesis for this film is American value is determined by well-paced action and adventure. More quips is better than less, and we better see the bad guys get theirs in the end. I think that is the value of this film in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I really do think that this film sets out a pretty, at least at the surface, a very good good versus evil dichotomy in which, you know, we see the good guys, though sometimes shady in their actions, come out in the end as good guys and the bad guys get it. And it's satisfying. It's satisfying for us, you know, especially as Americans to see the American essentially win. I mean, he doesn't get exactly what he wants, but he wins and the Nazis lose because that's the way of the world. Good defeats evil in the end, despite perhaps ambiguous endings, which we absolutely get here. Well, I don't know. I think like the definition of American winning is that the bad guy doesn't get what he wants and then the American hero gets a woman. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. He does. He gets he gets the girl, which is the true prize. That's can you hear the sarcasm dripping out of my mouth? The true prize. Oh, we'll, we'll get to it in our three questions here. So don't worry, dear listener. We will address this uh, idea of gender in this film. Yeah. Let's turn to our three questions. Okay. Ethan, do we care about this film? Yeah. Who doesn't care about Indiana Jones? Actually, I can answer that question. My girlfriend, she does not care about Indiana Jones. <laughs> But I think we do. I think we have to care about Indiana Jones. My wife hadn't seen this film before. And yeah. so I was, we were, we both sat and watched it and were entertained by it. Indiana Jones is clearly a cultural icon. When she sits down, having not seen this film, one of the few films I actually have seen on this list, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, oh, well, you have to know this scene. And she says, oh, yeah, I do. You know, because she didn't, never seen it, but she recognizes right it through all its parodies and satires and callbacks from other films. So yeah, I think you have to care about Indiana Jones as a cultural icon. But I think that makes our second question maybe a little more broad with what do we owe this film? Well, I mean, I really think that this film and Star Wars, which we'll get to later, another George Lucas property, helps pave the way for the current Hollywood moment that we live in where everything is a sequel Everything is a franchise, and and you set almost every movie up, any any action blockbuster style movie up, to be essentially a serial. And you know, this and Star Wars are, are designed to be callbacks or or reiterations of the of the serial pictures, the adventure serials from you know the black and white age. Well, I would push back a little bit with Star Wars because it is a three-act structure, whereas Indiana Jones is basically an installment property where you can kind of end at the space you began. Whereas Star Wars, like, at the end of two, you have to go to three, right? Right. Yeah, but I mean, but I think those are two different kinds of, of serial franchises that, that existed, right? Obviously, this one is more in the James Bond style of, you know, you get familiar characters and familiar institutions, but different settings and missions or whatever. Whereas Star Wars is, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, much more of a, a three-act structure that follows a specific story. But but it's a story also that continues over how many fucking Star Wars movies are there now? Well, I mean, the Disney acquisition of Star Wars today, I think, is a whole nother matter that maybe we'll get into 
if right. we ever watch one of those for a bonus episode. But I think I think you're onto something with this. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that this helps pave the way. These films help pave the way for what we have now, which is that you know you can't get away. You want any, you know, we've got these Marvel movies that are these long, expansive universes. You know, everything is set up to be a franchise, and and they and it's a lot like the old serials that Lucas and Spielberg are are playing with here. And so I think we have to consider that as a part of this film's legacy. I would agree with you in all of this, but I would maybe put my emphasis slightly in a different spot in that I think this is really a modern moment of action and adventure in theater, yeah. Yeah. which I will kind of editorialize and say, I'm not sure there's so much adventure in the equation anymore in today's films. I think it's all kind of reduced yeah. down to action. We've got that unity of place in a lot of these films that doesn't exist, certainly in this kind of film, right? They go all mm-hmm. over the world and there is an appeal to that. And it's certainly appealing to me. And so I think we owe really this can be seen as a pinnacle of action slash adventure, the genre itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, considering, you know, what we owe to this film are countless tropes, countless tropes that perhaps existed before this, but weren't in the sort of, I like they were in this. I mean, this takes all of these things. All you know, the the archaeologist, the the hat, the bullwhip, the you know, professor by day and grave robber by night. The all that sort of thing. I mean, these are epitome. You can see everything is the Indiana Jones of space or the Indiana Jones of whatever. India, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. we, you, what this film sends out into the world. Is, is really part of, I think, the reason that it ends up so high on this list as well. Right, and this echoes far and wide from parodies, satires, remakes. Imitations. You know, imitations. You Sequels. don't have the, the Uncharted <laughs> legacy in video games, if not for Indiana Jones. Right. Pretty much rips Tomb off Raider. the series entirely. Tomb Raider as well. So, And these are all well-established cultural icons that have reverberated from a cultural icon. So just think about the magnitude that that implies in that equation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this this really is a film that for Americans I think is this huge touchstone that we that we love and we want variations on it and we want retellings of it, reiterations over and over and over and over because the parts within it work. Yeah, Americans have always been enamored of adventure, and I think this does adventure very, very well. Yeah. And when you use action inside adventure, it's going to go great. So I think this is just a perfect storm of all the things that, if not titillate the American viewership, it certainly connects with them on some level. Yeah, definitely. So let's ask our third and final question. Does this film hold up? I think it does i mean i really think that you know and i i guess the version that i watched on amazon is must be one of the most recent because you know it's a george lucas film so it's been updated a thousand times (laughs) so you know the most of the special effects i think because you know a few of them have been touched up a little bit uh which is obvious from my watching it on my dvd not terribly long ago to the amazon hd version I think in general it holds up, and and some of that certainly I think is nostalgia. I will say that a couple of times Olivia watched it with me, and she was like, "Ha ha ha! Cool sky, that looks real." Which I kind of had to agree with her. It does look kind of fake, but I think it is part of the fun of the film. 
Well, I think a lot of this ages very well. Again, it's something we mentioned before. Actually, in another Harrison form film, which was... I'm thinking of Blade Runner here. Yeah. But because yeah. they're all practical effects, yes. for the most part, that boulder rolling down in that first scene is convincing because it's this big, what, probably 40 or 50 pound thing of styrofoam rolling yeah. down, as opposed to a really bad special effects, because that's all they could have managed in, at, right. at 1981, but it have been right. some really bad special effects. And we do see some bad special effects later, but for the most part, I think it ages very well as a result in the special effects department. Now, yeah. I mentioned we would talk about gender, and so we must, 2017 being another, in addition to its you mentioned earlier about 2017 we can't say no one identifies the nazis <laughs> we also have to think about gender here and the yeah. ways in which marion is damseled again and again and literally forced to wear different dresses by her captors at different right. points in the film it's so bizarre that i think we have to have some kind of pause over that and say really yeah i i think so although i will say this i do think that this film handles the damsel in distress probably the best that any of the one indiana jones films do and probably better than a lot of action films even today um because for what it's worth marion is capable uh she is smart she's able to drink men under the table she's always looking for another drink right she does defy a lot of norms she doesn't want to be put in this in these dresses but she wears them because she understands that, like, I, I'll put this dress on, seduce uh, Bella. She's, she's playing the game, basically. Yeah, she plays the game. So, and and I think you know, she we we enter when we when she enters the scene, right? Uh, she drinks this very large man under the table, and then immediately punches. And she doesn't slap Indiana Jones. She punches him in the face and basically tells him to fuck off and get out of here because you you're a douchebag, and I'm not going to be treated like garbage. Uh, when they get when you know after the Nazis burn her thing down, she says that they're partners, right? And she plays that within, you know, as as much as 1930s, a 1930s setting will allow her to. So, but yes, she is, but, but I mean, there is the push throughout this film again and again and again to make her the damsel in distress. And he does not get the arc in the end. He gets the girl, right? Right. Yeah, there is a, a certain level of dependence that she is forced to be under for yeah. Indiana Jones, where he has to save her at the end of a rocket Right. Uh, when he's pointing at the ark or when she's in the camp tied up and he goes to save her and says, actually, I should probably leave you here, which is kind of a strange moment. You're like, why did we add this into the film? Was it just to show that Indiana is her only source of liberation here? I I think I think it does that, certainly. I think that scene also sort of shows us, it, it undermines a little bit the good guy bad guy you know the good evil dichotomy that i talked about that i think this film sets up and is ostensibly really about but there are cracks in that structure right where indiana jones is kind of like i'm gonna actually leave you here because i gotta get the ark of the covenant and she's like ah what because indiana jones is not a purely good character as you've pointed no, out he's right? not like, he's kind of an asshole in a lot of cases and i actually wonder if that is a result of him having played Han Solo a few scant years prior to this film, mm -hmm. or if that was actually written to the character. Because you actually see Han Solo blend into Indiana Jones and vice versa as these two series go on. Yes. I mean, I, I think I think some of that is, is writing, and I do think some of that writing is probably to capitalize on 
uh, Harrison Ford as this kind of character. Some of the other char- or other uh, actors considered for this role were Burt Reynolds, I think, was one of them. And then another, what's that other guy with the mustache? Tom Selleck. I, for one, would be really interested to see what this film would be like with with Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones because one of the things about Harrison Ford is that he's not like Tom Selleck is a big beefy dude like he's a big man and Harrison Ford is kind of slight uh and kind of small right and so you can play with a lot of that like he's got wit and he's got charm because he's not uh, you know He's not a Sylvester Stallone, or I mean, and not that Tom Selleck is quite like that, but he's a big dude. I don't know. I feel like you could put Harrison Ford into any film of the genre, and I'd probably be just as happy as whoever else was in it. Yeah, but I mean, like, you can think about this as a if this is an action adventure film, compare this to other things that we see in the '80s with with these kinds of characters: Terminator, The Predator. Any Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rambo. I mean, these are those are big, beefy. You know, they're always like covered in like they they always look sweaty. They have they've oiled them up or whatever to run around in the jungle and shoot shit. And Indiana Jones is not necessarily that kind of character. We get yeah, a he's bit not of that. that he's not that hyper masculinity writ large that a Schwarzenegger or Stallone would be or is this time period. Right. And I think that that's that, you know, that bleeds into things like Han Solo and characters like that, because again, Han Solo's not, Oh, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Right. Like it's about outsmarting people and sneaking around and shit like that. I don't know. Well, we've gone far afield of whatever the hell our question was. (laughs) So I think in moments like this, we just have to throw ourselves off the mountain. I don't know. Something throw ourselves off, off dive out, dive out Jump. of the way of the boulder. Close our eyes against the. Cl- close your eyes against the the, the spirits. The spirits, or we could just ride on a submarine. Yeah, or we could just, which I guess that submarine never goes went under the water because he'd not, be dead. Yes, it can't. It must not go under the water because he didn't die. So. Well, I mean, they're not at war at that time, so there's no reason for it to submerge, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Well, all these questions (laughs) are frankly irrelevant at this point in the episode, so why don't we just wrap it up and say that next time we'll be back with number 65, which is The African Queen. The African Queen. But before that, next week, alongside of our Patreon-exclusive episode, we will have part seven of The Rundown. The Rundown. So until next time, I've been Matt Mazzell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. I hate spoilers, Matt! I hate them! There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much we made it we made it Put one over on him that time, didn't we, Liz? What a curious thing. We've had people shooting at him. We've had the price of shooting at him.
Be queen that didn't start shooting till we were past. What news? It's dangerous in here. What is the rate at all? We tried to get down the gorge. I suppose it's invisible. It sounds like a They didn't believe anybody could. I felt like dropping it. <laughs> well, we showed them. Hip, hip, hooray! <laughs> Mr. Olnut? Yes, miss? The current's quite strong here, isn't it? Yes, we're getting near the rapids. Really? So soon? Just around that bend. Dangerous. You better let me take over. Do you recognize these flowers, Mr. Olnut? Huh? I've never seen them before. Well, I can't say as I have either. Perhaps no one has. I don't suppose they even have a name. Well, whether they have or not, they, they sure are pretty.